Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. I'm Courtney. And I am Carl. And this is episode 17. Today we're reviewing Demon Slayer Part 2. And as always, there will be spoilers throughout the episode, so you've been warned. And let me clarify, because I know we say this every podcast episode, but it's spoilers for the anime we're talking about, and probably, maybe, at certain points, spoilers for other anime as well. We'll try to be better about it, because I think about it, if someone's going into this planning to only hear about the the anime at hand they're probably not planning for any other spoilers so we'll try to be better about it or you know put a a spoiler warning out there before we talk about anything from a different anime and with that demon slayer part two we finished it we caught up we're a little behind on putting this episode out because uh there were some, some things that happened over the last couple of weeks, but we are here and we are ready to talk about it. Um, I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot to talk about because my notes are very, very long. So let's dive right into overall thoughts for the series. What, what Now that you've completed everything, what, what do you think about it? Well, I understand where the hype train was because I think from start to finish, it's a very... Very good anime, just for anyone to watch. I think it's almost on the level of Attack on Titan. I don't know if it has the same kind of significance, um, but I think this would have kind of like a nice mainstream appeal for people who, not only people who love anime, but people who are kind of interested in discovering the genre. Um, in terms of Act 2, I think there are probably like two or three episodes in this act or in the second act that are very impactful to the story what i was not too happy about was just how it kind of went anticlimactic after those two certain stories happened Uh, but i think that's probably more in service to the next arc um, that they're setting up so but i get overall like with both the first and the second act together i think this was a very good season and for a very good anime. Yeah, I I loved it. So now that we've finished everything, I I agree. I get the hype behind the show because as we mentioned in the last episode for Demon Slayer, um, we jumped on this hype train after the show had already wrapped up. So we were quite quite a bit behind, um, but it it delivered. I think everyone is is completely valid in in you know really hyping up this show because. I think we mentioned this too in the last episode. It doesn't waste any time, and that mm-hmm. that continues throughout the the second half of the season. Um, there were, to your earlier point, there were some slower parts to this season um, as it kind of wound down from some major fights and spent a couple episodes just doing some character development. Um, but with that said, it wasn't boring. It, it didn't um, feel like I had to get through these parts to get to the next thing or whatever Mm -hmm. um so i think it still kept that strong pace going forward it just took a a bit of a a a slowdown i guess yeah and i mentioned this in the last episode too but i think what the anime does well even in the second act is that it still keeps a nice balance of your drama your comedy your action and i think that's and maybe it's because i haven't seen a lot of anime but i think that's pretty rare um with some of the shows that we've watched like you have certain shows that'll focus just on the drama or just on the comedy and even the second act though um even with the slower episodes as much as they didn't really see any action there was still the nice balance of again drama and comedy on the side yeah it definitely does strike a, a nice balance with those um and the comedy is always appreciated and i feel like they hit the nail on the head every time with with every point of comedic relief or or humor um without it feeling too forced Mm -hmm. so with that let's run through the episodes and as always kind of go through a recap and and share our thoughts um as we we move through this chronologically because knowing me if we didn't have this format i would be all over the place yeah so in the last episode we left off on episode 13 
the ending of that, we see Tanjiro uh, facing off against uh, the person who has like a boar head as a mask. Um, so jumping into episode 14, the house with the Wisteria family crest. Tanjiro takes down Boarhead, a fellow demon slayer named Inosuke, and knocks his boar's mask off, revealing the face of a very beautiful man with a great body that I'd like to take to the movies. Remember where that's from? <laughs> Wait, hold up. I know this. This is going to bother me. Hold up, hold up. Oh, where's it from? It's going to bother me. <laughs> Rush Hour 2. Oh, Chris yeah, Tucker, yeah, yeah. He sees he's a... fighting what's her face. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that, the Inosuke's reveal just reminded me of that scene. But um, after burying the remains of the Suzumi Mansion victims and parting ways with the rescued siblings, the trio travels to a manor with a Rasteria crust and is instructed to recover at the house until their wounds are healed. And we are treated to a Looney Tunes-like comic relief segment of the three heroes coping with their rehab culminating in Zenitsu discovering Nezuko and thinking Tanjiro is trying to catch himself a cute demon girl. Insert disgusting fanfics here. Um, quick notes about this episode. So it was absolutely hilarious. Yeah. I really love the dynamic between the three of them, Tanjiro, Zenitsu, and Inosuke. Because um, no one, and this is something that I noticed as we watched the, the trio a bit more, no one really stands out. They're all equally awesome, which mm-hmm. is a very difficult balance to strike and is not achieved very often. Usually the main character really stands out or the there's a particular like overpowered, you know, OP character that stands out or you know the the comedic relief character like really takes the each scene, but this it's it's just like each of them just is so equal in terms of awesomeness and and um skills and abilities maybe not so much, but just what their screen presence I think is what I'm looking for. I think they they're all awesome and even though i have a special place in my heart for zenitsu um i like i enjoy watching any of the three or all three together um you know in in these various scenes um i also was not expecting inosuke to be so pretty that was such (laughs) a great point like very feminine qualities yeah just uh features of his face like with all the anime out nowadays and and all like the classic anime that we have sometimes there's a lot of tropes in anime and in things that are extremely expected. I really appreciate it when a writer or whoever is creating the material can find something, even something as small as he's very beautiful as a strong man. Um, just finding those small, clever things, I have such an appreciation for because it's hard nowadays when everything's been done or everything's been said to, to be that creative and, and find something that hasn't been done or said. I definitely appreciate it. And I don't have to say, I'm sure there's something in media somewhere where, like, a person you weren't expecting was really pretty, really ugly. But just in this context, I was not expecting it, and I just thought it was absolutely hilarious. And to go off your earlier point about uh, the three characters kind of not overpowering each other, uh, I think this is another example of the show, like, striking a nice balance, even between the three of them. Um, Obviously, we know, like, Tanjiro's the protagonist of the series, um, but I think he represents the more level-headed person of the three. And then you have Zenitsu, who's like more timid and kind of scared of everything. Um, and then now you have Inosuke, who's kind of like the macho, the brash person. Uh, very reminiscent of like um, Tower of God, where you had Bomb, Rack, and Kun. Each of them had their own personalities, but together, um, like you, you never really saw them kind of clash. I mean, they, they did conflict with each other at certain points, but nothing to where it makes the anime or the storyline any more or any less interesting. Um, and I guess you can also compare it to like Harry Potter, like the trio of Harry, Ron and Hermione, um, where they just, they just play off each other well. Um, so yeah, this was a really great episode to get the three of them together. And I think this was again, nice comic relief from the intense, like arc of the the mansion that we had just experienced and speaking of the mansion i know it's called suzumi or wait no where they go after is oh that this where... is the wisteria yeah, yeah so the was the house with the wisteria crest is that where they were at the man is that the mansion yeah that's where they're recovering right now it's where they're recovering okay so my question is i assume if they have a wisteria crest that there's wisteria on the property to keep the demons out 
and allow the Demon Slayers to rest. So my question was, how is Nezuko not affected by the Wisteria? But hmm. I don't recall, and I could be wrong. I'm thinking back now because it's been a bit since we watched this episode. I'm trying to recall if we actually do see on screen like Wisteria on the property or if they just simply have a Wisteria crest as like symbolic to like protecting the Demon Slayers. So I'll have to go back and watch that. But if there is Wisteria on the property, then my question is, why wasn't Nezuko affected, even though she was like in the middle of it, all of it? But that's just a side note. Yeah, Rocky forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she has to be like in close proximity. I mean, since she was still confined in the box and inside the mansion. I don't know. I'm just making up my own, my own theories. But continuing on, uh, episode 15, Mount Natagumo. Zenitsu learns that Nezuko is Tanjiro's sister and starts simping for her. Once the trio fully recovers, they are instructed to travel to Mount Natagumo to assist other demon slayers with a suspected member of the Twelve Kizuki. Zenitsu chickens out until he realizes that Tanjiro took his precious Nezuko into the threat area and goes off to save her. Meanwhile, Tanjiro and Inosuke confront demon slayers manipulated by webbed puppet strings and are visited by a white-haired demon boy, Rui, who taunts them with imminent death. Borhead uses his spiritual awareness to find the puppet master, the mother of the forest spider family. In episode 16, letting someone else go first, one of the conscious demon slayers, Murata, fends off his possessed brethren, allowing Tanjiro and Inosuke to go after mother. They begin tangling some of the possessed slayers to prevent them from attacking until mother violently, violently snaps their necks, terrified of Rui's threat that he would tell father about her incompetence. A headless demon with blades for arms intercepts the duo, it nearly kills Inosuke, but they work together to neutralize it. Inosuke sends Tanjiro hurtling towards Mother, who kills and releases her from the pain of her abusive spider family. As a final thank you, she warns Tanjiro that one of the 12 Kizuki is indeed on the mountain. So this only note I have for this episode is that I really loved when Tanjiro changed his form at the last second when he realized the mother was ready for death. Mm -hmm. Because, obviously, he was trying to brutally murder her, but then he goes with something that's softer and less painful. Um, because, as always, he's compassionate to both humans and demons, um, regardless of how evil they are. So, even in that moment... And they didn't touch on it too much. It was just, it happened, and then they acknowledged it and moved on. But it just continues to show how he is a very thoughtful and compassionate main character. Yeah, one comment I wanted to make um, in line with that is just, I was surprised at how serious of a topic um, this episode covered in terms of, like, the mother's backstory. Um, and it makes, like, allusions to, uh, like, the domestic violence that she's experiencing and... I don't know, I, I didn't think I would see that in a show like this, which it's not a kid's show, but it, it's still a very serious topic that you don't really see in, like, an animated show. Well, I think I think you see that stuff in anime, just depending on the anime. I, mm -hmm. I think what maybe what you're trying to get at is, to your earlier point about this show having a great balance of humor and drama and action you wouldn't expect this type of plot point for something with this much humor in it. Yeah. Like, usually this happens in, like, a very serious anime where maybe there's, like, a handful of comedic relief moments, but really it, there's not really comedy in the show mm -hmm. versus this where there is, like, probably a third to half of it is, is comedy. So I, I maybe that... I, I could be wrong. Maybe that's kind of what you're getting at is because the show has so much comedy in it, you wouldn't expect it to tackle such a serious topic. Yeah. Um... No, I think yeah, you you described perfectly what my feelings were with this. Um, and the other thing is just that Rui is a massive dick, and we'll learn that as this arc goes on. Um, but, yeah, continuing onward, in episode 17, you must master a single thing. In a very powerful character episode, Zenitsu runs into the eldest son of the spider family, whose venom turns humans into spiders. Zenitsu himself has been poisoned, and has 30 minutes until his transformation is complete. He begins recalling his days of training under Jigoro Kuajima and his journey to breaking out of his pathetic, cowardly shell. Fainting at the sight of his hair falling out due to the venom's effects, he reawakens and slays the elder son using the one and only attack of the thunder breath that he learned. Zenitsu then uses a slow breathing technique to suppress the effects of the venom as long as he can. Tanjiro heads towards Zenitsu's direction after hearing his attack, but he and Inosuke are confronted by the daughter of the spider family who calls upon the father to take care of the duo. This 
episode was amazing. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, I am team Zenitsu. Not that we're team anything. I think they're they're all um, great characters and they all work well together. But Zenitsu, by far, is my favorite character in the show. I, I love him. I think he's so funny. He can certainly be over the top, but it, it always feels like the right level of over the top. Um, and as I mentioned before, I love clever things, clever plot points or clever twists and things like that. And the fact that in a few episodes before this, we were introduced to him only being able to, to muster the courage to attack something when he's unconscious was amazing. And Mm -hmm. then they added to that by showing us that he only knows one move. He's only (laughs) able to master one move. And I'm like, double clever plot twists like for my favorite character i mean this this whole situation is just amazing to me and i'm so excited as the show goes on to see how first of all how everyone reacts when they realize that that he you know can only fight when he's unconscious and only has one move and then how he reacts when people tell him that this is the situation and then how he overcomes that um, there's just so much potential with this. And I, I just, I don't know. It's just one of those, those things where I'm like, I fucking love it. I love it. That is so smart. That is so funny. Keep it going. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think here we start to see like Zanitsu is probably the most relatable character, um, out of the trio just cause he, I think he represents again, maybe like some of the demographic for the show where, you know, you're not so sure about yourself. Um, you feel timid and, um, again, like just fearful of things, not like everyone's afraid of their own shadow as much as he is. Um, but yeah, I just like how it, it takes this character flaw and then you have like the encouragement from, I guess he calls him Gramps and then like he starts to build up the courage himself. Um, and yeah, he perfects just this one move, which I think like that's a testament to Zenitsu's like overall stupidity (laughs) but in that you can also see like he has this dedication to making himself a better person even if it's just this one move that he's learned to perfect I compare him to Mineta in My Hero like Mineta (laughs) clearly has like not the strongest quirk um, Mm -hmm. and he knows it and he's not exactly the most competent you know class 1A member Um, but he still is able to, at certain points of the show and in the movies, um, have heroic moments just through sheer coincidence, I think. Mm-hmm. This is different in where Zenitsu knows he's he's incapable as well, but instead of just freaking out and just letting things happen, he took the time to, as his, his Jichan said, master one thing. If you suck at everything, just try to be good at one thing in particular. And he achieved that. He may not know that yet, mm-hmm. but he achieved it. And I just think that's, again, it's such a different way of looking at a potentially incompetent or incapable character. Because again, you see that a lot. You see the Mineta a lot. Like, oh my yeah. god, I suck, I'm freaking out. Oh, but by sheer coincidence, this happened to work out. And hey, look, I did it. And maybe I have some some self-esteem points to, to lean on, but this is a totally different approach. To me, it's a, it's a fresh approach, a fresh take mm-hmm. on, on that type of character. Right, because it, it says, like, you can be the most cowardly person in the world, but there's still there's still that one redeeming quality in you that you can utilize to your, to your own potential. Um, yeah, when I thought, like, Zanichi was going to die towards the end of this episode, I was like, oh, my God. Like, he's already, like, one of our favorite characters but like this show tells me that this is it for him I was like oh man but thankfully spoiler alert he's not yeah <laughs> as you'll see in the following episodes um one more one more comment about Zenitsu's single move I think what what really made it such an awesome reveal is the um I can't remember, the, the demon spider guy, whatever his name is, his reaction to seeing Zenitsu, like, only do his one move, only while he's unconscious, I think the reaction really drove it home. Like, if you didn't have that that demon reacting and having that inner monologue of, like, what the fuck is he doing? Is he asleep? Like, is he repeating the same line over and over again? Does he only know one move? Um, I think, because his reaction is probably the same reaction we're, we as the audience are having. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was a very smart choice to have the spider demon who was supposed to be this serious and intense, you know, character have that same reaction that we're having. That, that was such a, a great choice. 
Yeah. And, oh, cool. and the only other thing I'll mention about this episode in general was the CGI spiders really pulled me out of it. Like, I was very immersed. It's a, This is a Zenitsu episode. I love him to death. And then those CGI spiders come along, and you're just like, oof. Ugh. Ugh. That looks horrible. CGI and anime never works. It has to be super subtle for it to work, and that, to me, was not subtle. Oh, I thought you meant just, like, how almost realistically they moved as spiders. Well, like that, that kind of, too. And I, I fucking hate spiders. So I had a hard time just watching this whole arc in general. But when the CGI spider movements came on screen, it, it broke that immersion for me. Yeah. Um, two last points about this episode. Um, I know I like how we find out that Zenitsu's hair is not naturally blonde. Yeah, like, that it was gets so shocked. funny, too. It's black, but then it got shocked into yellow when he's struck or struck by lightning. Because there's so many anime characters. So to yeah. piggyback off that. Similar to how um, when Tanjiro is training in the forest and then he keeps getting hit by stuff because mm-hmm. he actually says out loud, like, you know, I wouldn't expect myself to be perfect at this when I've, I've just been training for a little while. I can't remember the exact line. But anyway, it was, to me, it was like kind of a, a nudge at a lot of the anime tropes where an, uh, an inexperienced character suddenly masters something. This is another poke, at least, that, that I saw, where you see these anime characters with crazy color hair, and they never acknowledge it. Even stuff that's not natural, mm-hmm. like pink and blue and all that stuff. This, they finally have a character who is probably one of the only ones with crazy colored hair, but they actually acknowledge it, and they give you a backstory to it, and I thought that was so great. I love that so much. Yeah. Obviously, like, it's it's nice almost macaroni and cheese hair to look at, <laughs> in contrast to everyone else. Craft punk. Yeah, And the last, last thing from this episode I want to mention is just wise words from Gramps that we can all follow. It's, it's all right to cry. It's all right to run away. Just don't ever give up. Just believe. Oh. <laughs> In episode 18 of Forged Bond, two master swordsmen, Gyo and Shinobu Nobu, arrive at Mount Natagumo to help net- neutralize the demon threat. Father blasts Tanjiro out of range, leaving Inosuke alone to fight the demon. Father molts and emerges with a body strong enough to break Inosuke's swords and nearly crush his head until Jiu makes extremely quick work of the demon. Meanwhile, Tanjiro finds the daughter being tortured by Rui, who incites him by telling him not to, fettle, not to meddle in family affairs. We learn that Rui's webs are deadly enough to slice through flesh as it cuts through Tanjiro's blade and continues for his face. In episode 19, Hinokami, Jiu ties up Inosuke to keep him out of trouble, and Shinobu Nobu provides Zenitsu with an antidote and a voice only bested by Nia in terms of how annoyingly high-pitched it is. Tanjiro barely dodges Rui's thread, but it leaves a deep cut across his face. Nesco jumps out of her box to protect her brother, shocking Rui with a strong familial bond between a demon and a human. He envies this more than the bond he shares with his pretend sister, so he sends her away and traps Nesco in his threads. Tanjiro musters up a hidden strength inherited from his father's Kagura dance to f- transform his water-style attack into an incendiary attack on Rui, while Nesko uses blood art to burn through his threads. Tanjiro shows just how strong his bond with Nesko is as he slices the shit out of Rui's neck and launches his head into Kingdom Come. Um, so many things. So many things to talk <laughs> about in this episode, so I'm just gonna dive right in. I thought it was so interesting that Tanjiro, this whole season is taught um water techniques i guess you could call them Mm -hmm. um and and he you know does a pretty good job of trying to master those and then it comes to light that his family is actually rooted in fire techniques i could be using the wrong terminology but we'll just call them techniques um and i i don't know what i think of that yet i just find it very interesting that he was taught one thing but his innate or his his um familial technique is the complete opposite water and fire yeah, I think they make some allusions to that in the first half. Um, I think the first episode mentions that his family sells charcoal. So oh, that yeah, that's thing, right. Right, And obviously, like, his his like fire-red hair, which I don't think... I think becomes more of a point now that we've learned this, like, hidden technique. Yeah. No, I, I, I forgot about that. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, a couple other notes about this episode. I think we all can agree... Gorgeous, amazing fights, and all the elements come together absolutely perfectly. I mean, the visuals were stunning. Um, it mm-hmm. just shows the potential of of, of anime and, and fight sequences and all of that. Um, but I think what really took that fight to the next level for me was Tanjiro's voice actor. When he said, um, nothing will ever come between him and Nezuko right before he struck Rui, the, 
the the way the voice actor said that line in that moment was absolutely perfect. And sometimes I feel like we take voice actors for granted because what they do is I'm sure very, very difficult. I mean, I can barely get through one of these podcasts without, you know, stuttering or, or slipping up or, or whatever. I can't imagine invoking that much emotion in just the right way to deliver that type of climax. Um, so props to Tanjiro's voice actor, whose name I don't know. Do you have a name? His name is Natsuki Hanae. Perfect. Well, to him, all the kudos in the world, because that, that part, I think, brought that whole fight scene home for me. Yeah, there was... I want to say this is probably, like, the best episode of the series. Because there's, again, there's so many things that they, they fit into this, and it's surprising that it's, like, a 22-minute episode. Because, um, obviously, you have the whole build-up with where you think, like... Tanjiro doesn't stand a chance and then you have the scene where it's like a shot of like a million different like little scenes uh, of like which I think is Tanjiro digging into his past to try to find like one thing that'll help him um, in defeating Rui which I think like that's like not that that's a cliche but people always say like your your life flashes before your eyes and I think the reason why is like you want to find something to save yourself in whatever life-threatening moment you face. Um, and then you have this whole story of Tanjiro's father and how he does this dance to protect his family um, from, since they're working so much fire, um, to protect them from harm. And then and that's the spark that lights up Tanjiro's, I guess, resolve to, to finish off Rui. And then you have Nesko who wakes up... Um, and then you have this, like, the scene where she sees a vision of her mother, like, encouraging her to help her brother. And it's like, oh, man, that just hits you in the feels. It's like, this is an episode where it just sends, constantly sends goosebumps, like, down your spine. And it's just great from start to finish. Um, and even the song. Like, I thought the song was really cheesy at first. Um, but, you know, like, the emotion of it still complements all the action that's going on. Um in the episode. Yeah, it's interesting when you can, um, similar to the second My Hero movie, when you can have such a somber, such a um, slow, beautiful song in an intense action sequence. Like, if you can, if you can strike that balance, it, it I think really hits home for a lot of people. And I think with Tanji, so a couple things to what you said. Um, oh, the the whole build up and, and the end here where we see Tanjiro successfully, you know, strike Rui. It, it's very satisfying because this whole arc is incredibly long. It's like several episodes yeah. long. At certain parts, I was like, are they still in the damn forest? <laughs> are there still spiders I have to sit through? Like, what is happening? But it made it very, very worth it to, to see this fight and to see that, that climax. And I absolutely love how Nesco and Tanjiro work so well together. Mm -hmm. um, because it's one thing to tell us that they have a sibling bond or just keep reminding us that they're siblings. But it's another thing to show us that they have this special way of working with each other that no one else has because they're, they're blood relatives, they're siblings. And honestly, when I, when I found out the plot was about a main character wanting to save his sister and is traveling with her, my first thought was, oh my god, Nesco is going to be super annoying and super useless and just be a sandbag the whole time. Uh, because you see that a lot, a lot in anime. But I'm pleasantly surprised that she is not useless at all. She's just the right amount of useful where she doesn't take away from Tanjiro's character development or steal the spotlight, but she's like, you look at her and you're like, she's useful. Okay, she did something. Thank you. Like, he can call out to her and she'll be there to protect him. Or even before he says her name, she'll be there to, to be useful and to be, um, you know, a, a partner to him in these fights. So I really enjoy their dynamic as siblings. And I think that's the focal point of this episode and probably of the whole series is just the relationship between Nesco and Tanjiro. Um I think it's clear with this episode, like, they're trying to contrast, like, Rui's fake family. Like, he pretends to have this bond with this demon who we'll learn later he just kind of found in the forest. And he wants to have some semblance of that, like, a bond as strong as that. And he sees that with Nesco and Tanjiro, even though, like, she's a demon and 
pretend he was a human. Um, but yeah, this episode drives home the point that a bond like that is not something that you can just create out of thin air. There's something very, very genuine in that. And, you know, obviously I hope like the series will continue to just focus on their relationship and um, uh, continue driving the point home of like why Tanjiro is doing all of this. And it's again, because of the strong bond that he has with like his only, the only other family that he has left in this world. Yeah. Is this the episode where we find out that he didn't actually kill Rui, or is it the next episode? That's the next one. Okay. So I can go right into that. Because <laughs> I was about to say something, and I was like, I can't remember if they left it on a cliffhanger, or if they actually showed that part to us. We we binge these episodes, like, in a few nights, um, so everything kind of blends together at certain yeah. points. But to jump right into that, uh, we have episode 20, Pretend Family. Tanjiro collapses from strain and crawls towards Nezuko, who is lying motionless. Rui then pulls a Houdini and puts his head back on, stating that he pre-cut his own head to avoid being killed by Tanjiro's sword. Dick move, man. Gio arrives, however, to put him down once and for all with an eleventh form of water breathing, even though there are officially ten. The daughter runs from the area, recalling how Rui shared blood with lost demons to form his fucked up family for a fucked up sense of protection. Shinobu Nobu confronts the daughter and tenderly asks for her compliance. When she refuses, Shinobu Nobu poisons her with wisteria from her unique blade. As Rui lays dying, he sees Tanjiro protecting Nezuko, and he reflects on how he created his demon family to try and bring back the lost memories of his own family when he was human. I love that Tanjiro didn't actually kill Rui. Again, another <laughs> crazy plot twist. I was like, he did it. Like, there's no way he could have not killed him just now. And then they're like, nope, there is a way he didn't just kill him just now. Um, so I thought that was, that was really, really good. See, like, that's something I did not like because I felt like it sort of downplays the significance of what happened in the previous episode. Like I get, um, it's, it subverts expectations <laughs> as much as people don't like that term. Um, but yeah, something about that was like, oh, you're, you're just taking a, taking that victory away from Tanjiro. It's like, aha, I got you moment. Well, I get what you're saying, but on, in my view, I think it's very realistic because Tanjiro is still at the bottom rank, whatever the bottom rank is of yeah. the Demon Slayers. For him to actually single, well, not single-handedly because he had Nesco, but to basically single-handedly kill one of the, the one of the, the twelve Kizuki, the twelve Kizuki. Like, I think the point they're trying to make is the 12 Kizuki cannot be defeated that easily. That's why mm-hmm. they are the top demons under Kibutsuji. So for a bottom-ranking person to just happen to... Well, not happen. He, I know he, he did it intentionally and all that, but to be able to kill this this demon, I think it's showing us that, no, they are there's a reason that they're the 12 Kizuki. They're very clever, they're very strong, and they're very difficult to defeat. Now, on the flip side, then you got Gyu, who comes in and like just destroys Rui. <laughs> One slice, I think. Which I think is... A bit over the top because yeah he's a top ranking demon slayer but Rui's a bottom ranking Kazuki so I guess maybe you could you could justify that but I think the point they're trying to make here with that part is that Gyu is skilled he has mm-hmm. gone through the trials and tribulations of, of becoming a top demon slayer so while Tanjiro basically used every ounce of his effort to try and kill Rui unsuccessfully Gyu can come in and with ease just destroy Rui because again he there's a reason he is one of the top demon slayer and we need to remember that there is that that huge gap that skill gap between Tanjiro and and Gyu yeah that makes sense I guess it's kind of like it I don't know if this happens in Breath of the Wild but you you play Link and you try to defeat Ganon right at the beginning of the game and then you get absolutely destroyed (laughs) Uh, so yeah I guess logically it makes sense but I guess I was looking more at the like sentimental value of Tanjiro defeating this enemy who was like torturing the shit out of his sister and then the enemy just saying nope just kidding I'm still here um but no what you're saying makes a lot more sense so and a few no- other notes wait is this episode 21 20 oh, okay never mind oh wait because I, <laughs> I again they, these episodes blend a little bit together for me so I have notes on the next one yeah so in the next one episode 21 against core rules what do you know Rui's memory conveniently starts flooding back Born with frail health, Kibutsuji turned Rui into a demon to give him strength. Rui killed his parents believing they never truly loved him, but it is revealed otherwise. 
he masks his guilt by creating his fake demon family, obviously to no avail. Tanjiro reconciles with Rui in his final moments, and Rui's spirit reunites with his parents. Jiu recognizes Tanjiro and Nezuko from their first fateful encounter. Shinobunobu tries to slay Nezuko, but Jiu blocks her attack, and Tanjiro is knocked unconscious by the silent Kanao Tsuyuri from his final selection class. Kasugai Crows announced that Tanjiro and Nezuko are to be taken to headquarters as the Kakashi cleanup unit deals with the battle's aftermath. Tanjiro comes to his senses the next morning and finds himself in front of the Hashira Hashira. Hashira Hashira. <laughs> well, this episode um, has some very interesting things like Tanjiro, even though he is talking to a top ranker like Gyu, who also just saved his life, keeps his morals about honoring the demons who are tragic and were once human. Um, I think that's brave of him, and it shows that, again, he is a very compassionate main character, um, and doesn't let any, you know, system of, of superiority or, um, anyone's beliefs stop him from, from doing what he believes is right. And Giyu, in general, is just awesome. So this is kind of like our, our reintroduction to him, um, and he's a badass. He's got that, that Levi type of quality mm-hmm. to him. Um, but I thought, again, super clever plot point that, um, Shinobu just comes in and says, people don't, or people don't like you. And I'm like, who says that? Like, that's so unexpected, but I guess, I mean, she's telling the truth, so that's cool. And then the fact that he reacts by saying, people don't dislike me in such a serious way was so funny, because you're like, what do I even do with this situation? How do I process what's happening? Don't you get, like, a pale sweat that comes down his side of his face? head when that happens i think like, so maybe yeah he was just like people don't dislike me like he's just so certain about that <laughs> even though she just told him that people don't like him and what a weird situation and weird timing for, for her to say something like that so that was just incredibly unexpected and i thought it was so funny and again it's that comedic relief around you who's a very serious character i guess the one thing that again the show does very well um and especially with this episode is it makes you empathize with your villains. And here, as much as I thought like Rui was like a big asshole throughout this whole arc, um, with him creating his fake family, uh, this episode still makes you tug at the heartstrings for him. Because again, he the reason he's doing this is because he didn't have memories of his own family um, until like this very last second where I guess life suddenly starts to flash before your eyes. And it, it's it's tragic, and again, Tanjiro being the compassionate person that he is, like recognizes the pain that Rui has gone through, um, from his human days into his demon days, and and reconciles with him, and yeah, this episode again it ties up this arc very well, and I mean hopefully we'll start to see these these like tender moments with demons like. At first, we'll we'll hate them, to like with a passion, but then we'll realize, oh, you know, maybe this could be anyone's story. Like anyone could be a demon and and end up in their shoes. So, yeah, and we'll see if they do the same with Kibutsuji when we get to the end. If they're gonna find a way to make us feel compassion for him, that would be a miracle. <laughs> in episode twenty-two, Master of the Mansion. There are nine Hashira Hashira with names too complex to pronounce, but anyways, they put Tanjiro on trial for violating core rules by traveling with a demon. Tanjiro t- tries to defend Nezuko and convince the Hashira Hashira that she can fight alongside them. The master of the demon slayers arrives and gives the duo his blessing, due to a letter he received from Pinocchio Daki stating that he, Tanjiro, and Yu would commit seppuku if Nezuko ever harms a human. The master also mentions that Tanjiro has encountered Kibutsuji and has been targeted by him, giving the Corps an opportunity to take him down. However, a majority of the nine remain unconvinced, and one of them, one of them Sanami, the Wind Pillar, forces Nesko out of her box and eggs her on to try and attack him. In episode 23, Hashira meeting, Nesko remembers her family and controls her instincts, which is enough for the Master to trust her. He instructs Tanjiro to prove the Corps wrong by working with Nesko to defeat demons. Tanjiro naively declares that they will defeat Kibutsuji, but knowing anime logic, this will probably be the case at some point. They are taken to the cultural mansion, but not before Tanjiro tries to headbutt Sanami for assaulting Nezuko. 
The master asks Tanjiro to give Miss Tamayo his regards, acknowledging himself that good demons exist. Tanjiro reunites with Zenitsu and Inosuke at the mansion infirmary and promises once again to Nezuko that he will turn her back into a human. Meanwhile, the Hashira Hashira discuss the weakness of the core after the Mount Nadegumo incident, and the master reaffirms his commitment to bring down Kibutsuji. Episode 24, Rehabilitation Training, Rengoku, the Flame Pillar, leaves on a mission to locate another one of the 12 Kizuki. Tanjiro, Inosuke, and Zenitsu begin their rehabilitation training at the mansion, forced through some grueling exercises with Kanao and other Kocho girls, much to Zenitsu's pleasure. The girls help Tanjiro by training him to use total concentration breathing in order to surpass Kanao's exercises. This involves blowing into a gourd enough for it to explode, no sexual puns intended. Tanjiro also shares a moment with Shinobu Nobu, believing that humans and demons can live peacefully, a sentiment taken from her fallen older sister and reaffirmed by Nezuko's existence. In episode 25, Suguko Kanao Suyuri, Tanjiro continues improving his total concentration breathing technique, inspiring Inosuke and Zenitsu to take their training more seriously. We learn more about the enigmatic Kanao, who experienced a neglected childhood and was sold off into slavery. Even after being rescued by Shinobu Nobu and her older sister, Kanae, Kanao felt no autonomy over her own choices and would leave decisions up to chance by flipping a coin. Tanjiro and Inosuke receive their reforged swords, albeit being chastised by the swordsmiths for their improper handling. Tanjiro finally wins against Kanao's exercise and asks Shinobu Nobu about his father's fire-breathing technique, but she recommends consulting with Rengoku. Meanwhile, on a steam locomotive, a demon terrorizes and eats its passengers, begging the question, is train food better than airline food? And in the last episode, 26... Wait, hold up. No. Episode 25... Oh, no. Oh, wait, never mind. Wait. What? Wait, my notes. Okay, okay. This is where my notes get all over the place. So, this episode, 25, when Mm -hmm. you just read... Um, in terms of Shinobu, I, I didn't really care one way or the other for her character up until this point where you learn her backstory and you feel a little more sympathy for her. Mm-hmm. I found it interesting as they're explaining what happened that her personality and her eyes go from, you know, shiny light in her eyes and more of like a normal personality to the flat personality and the flat eyes that she has now. Because I think after she, she lost her older sister, quote-unquote, because I don't know if they're blood-related or not, but her quote-unquote older sister, you could tell that hit her so hard that that now she has this, like, Nia from Gurren Lagan way of talking, and, and she has these faded eyes the same way um, Kanao has them. Like, the, the brightness in her eyes is gone, and her personality, I think, is very forced right now. Um, so it's it's interesting um, that that happened. But I think it's, it's almost twofold. Like, Part of it, too, is that she's Im- embodying her older sister. Cause I think that's the way her older sister talked. Yeah. And that's the way her older sister's eyes looked. So it, I think, to me, it was like a dual thing of feeling, res- not responsible, maybe, but feeling the impact of losing her older sister and having this, you know, flat personality and flat eyes because of it, but then also wanting to embody her older sister as a way of honoring her, including wearing her clothes and everything. Um, so I thought that was a, a, an interesting choice for Shinobu because they, up until that point, they portrayed her as being a certain way when we find out really she was never that way to begin with. Yeah, like I mentioned in the synopsis, I think, again, for her to kind of echo like the traits of her sister is her trying to reconcile with the idea, again, that demons and humans can coexist peacefully because I think that that's what this episode was trying to establish with her backstory um and again with Nesco being in the picture I think it's becoming more of a reality for her and it's it's an easier thing for Shinobu to grasp um now that she's been introduced to Tanjiro and Nesco um so at first like I thought Shinobu was, Shinobu was really off-putting um especially in like the earlier episode where like she was almost willing to to kill Nesco and then, like, she has this change of heart once she kind of connects with Tanjiro. Um, so we'll see how, I don't know if she'll have this kind of conflict in, in her about humans coexisting with demons. Um, but yeah, I guess she's one of the Hashiras that we'll continue to focus on. And so in the last episode of the season, episode 26, New Mission, a few months earlier, Muzan Jackson gathers the five lower members of the 12 Kizuki in some M.C. Escher-type space. 
inhabiting a female aura unlockable only through DLC, he deems them all worthless and kills them off, except for Lower One, who embraces his death by Kibutsuji. Impressed, Muzan Jackson strengthens Lower One with his blood and promises to give him more if he can defeat the demon slayer who wears Hanafuda earrings. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. In the present day, Akasagai Crow gives Tanjiro, Inosuke, and Zenitsu an assignment to eliminate the demon terrorizing the aforementioned Mugen train. Tanjiro makes his final rounds at the mansion, encountering Genya, aka Taisho era Bakugo, from his final selection class, thanking Aoi for helping him with his breathing technique, making Kaonao question her reliance on flipping coins to make decisions, and thanking Gyu for helping him with Nezuko. At the train station, the trio plus Nesco struggles to keep a low profile since the Demon Slayer Corps isn't officially recognized by the government, and they jump on the train to Muzan, coming soon to theaters, but who really knows with this ongoing pandemic. Get it? Train to Muzan? Like, train to Busan? <laughs> yeah, you coined that term. I know, like, seriously, <laughs> missed opportunity there. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be a hashtag trending during the movie. Yeah, Train to Busan was really good, so I'm sure Train to Muzan will be just as amazing. Um, we have a love interest. Kanao clearly is starting to have feelings for Tanjiro, so here we go. Um, I'm for it. I think it's interesting because he's really nice to her, and yeah, that's enough for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thing I love about, like, I think one of the first encounters we see with Kanao is, I think, this was an earlier episode, but um, I think one of the the cleanup units, whatever their names were, like, were escorting Tanjiro and Nesko into the mansion, and he like, asks Kanao, like, at the entrance, like, where so-and-so is going, and she just stares at him. <laughs> and there's just this awkward silence. I, yeah. They're perfect. <laughs> I guess, but she's still kind of off-putting. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, like, yeah, her well, dead I, eyes. I'm sure through her, her growing love for Tanjiro and his kindness, she'll come out of her shell, and we'll learn more about her strange past. And we didn't really touch upon... Like the fourth person in the class, uh, Genya. I just like it. Yeah, he just passes by him in the hallway. Same voice actor and everything, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Um, I think, well, I think they're going to save him for probably after, like maybe season two or something. Yeah, I don't know if we'll see him in the movie at all. I don't remember watching him in the trailer, but yeah, we'll see. Um, There's a lot to unpack with this last episode. Um, or even the episode before it. So I'm just going to rattle through some of my notes. Something's up with the Master. Uh, master whoever, whatever his name is. The Master of the Demon Slayers. Yeah, I have a feeling like he's somewhat related to Kibutsuji. Yeah, either related or closely tied to him. Because, yeah, something is just not right. It's interesting mm. that he knows Tamayo. Um, that's like a good thing. But, I don't know, something about his quest to defeat Kibutsuji has like this underlying connotation of like there's something personal going on there or some sort of like history something in their history where he needs this to be done or whatever so i'm suspicious which i think is the intent but we'll learn more about that along that same vein i just hope this avoids the trope of you know like the like the governmental body or organization having this hint of like corruption you know what I mean? Yeah, kind of like a spoiler alert, because I'm going to try and do that now. <laughs> spoiler alert for Attack on Titan. Um, kind of like Attack on Titan's plot twist, where the government isn't all that it seems. Yeah, the royal government. Um, there's another show. I guess Tower Tower of God. Spoiler alert. <laughs> to some point, but... Yeah, it is a trope, and I hope... I, my thought, too, was like, oh, great, the, the master of the Demon Slayers is going to be a bad guy in the end, or something like that. Um, I hope it's not that. I, I'd be more interested in a plot point where, yeah, maybe the, he does have history with Kibutsuji and now he's trying to do something righteous or whatever. I would not be for a, a plot that ends with him having, you know, malicious intent and, and betraying the, the Demon Slayers and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, well, those are my thoughts on, on this. Even though I said there's a lot to unpack, I didn't really write as much because... Well, okay, I wrote I wrote more about, like, the movie that picks up after this last episode. So before mm-hmm. we dive into that, because um, I want to talk about that last, I just have some, like, general things that I ref- reflected on after finishing the show. So as I mentioned, the show's fucking gorgeous, and every moment is incredibly thoughtful and deliberate and very artistic, but without it trying too hard. 
Um, and I think that sets the show apart from a lot of other anime. Um, Tanjiro is a kind-hearted main character that is not naive or boring. Mm -hmm. Because we get a lot of those, like, like Bomb from Tower of God, incredibly kind-hearted, but, like, super naive and, and really, really boring. Um, Tanjiro is already, from the outset, incredibly mature. Um, and, uh, again, as I keep saying it, incredibly compassionate. Most of the time, those types of main characters are still somewhat immature, which is why they're naive, and then you kind of see them grow through their character development and become more mature. Again, Tanjiro right, right out the gate is, is super mature. And part of that, one thing that reminds us of that throughout the show, which they don't even really focus on, it's just there all the time, are his hands. Because his hands are always incredibly damaged, I think, to show the dedication and the sacrifice and the hard work um, around his story. And I, I love that, again, they don't focus on that. No one specifically asks about that. I think maybe one person said... Um, in that town where the girls were getting kidnapped. I think maybe he said something about his hands being really rough or something for such a young kid. I could be wrong. But again, they don't really focus on that, but it is always there. So it's always that constant, subtle reminder that Tanjiro has gone through a lot to get where he is today. And he's only like, what, 17? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Like, like, like a lot of anime main characters. Of war and battle. <laughs> and also, one other thing about Tanjiro, what the hell is on his head? Like they said, it was a birthmark and i didn't realize till like the last episode that it went from a birthmark to like a straight up like red scar on his head when the hell did that happen and how did that happen i don't know because i also saw like in the flashback scenes with his father i think his father has a similar scar on his head i think his, his dad has the birthmark but not the mm. scar unless the scar is supposed to be from him bashing his head his strong head into everything <laughs> but like i realized like when i got to the last episode i'm like wait a minute when the hell did that change from a birthmark to a scar? We'll have to go back and, and rewatch. But I just thought that was, like, interesting. Maybe that it's, I a, didn't notice that. it's a hidden power like Harry Potter's scar. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know what that means because I don't, I don't watch Harry Potter. Oh, well, I won't spoil <laughs> anything for any of you out there. And one more thing I want to say about the show that's, like, not really specific to the show, but I guess it's kind of specific to the show is for all my Inuyasha fans out there, there's so many similarities between this show and Inuyasha. Um, I'm sure you all picked up on them as you were watching. Like, women getting kidnapped by the demons, uh, and the spiders controlling people with webs, kind of like that hair demon in the beginning of the show. Um, even the ending theme is, like, almost identical the way this ending theme opens up with the, the My Dream ending from, I think it's, like, from the first season of Inuyasha, one of the first openings where you have those red crimson flowers against the black background and like kind of that moody music. Again, it's almost identical. And I just, I get the, the plot is pretty similar, you know, demons in a, an earlier era of Japan, but I hope I'm not the only Inuyasha fan out there who notices these similarities as you're watching the show. You wouldn't know. You didn't watch Inuyasha, but Oops. I encourage it because Yasha Hime is coming out soon, which will who? be... A future podcast episode or two. I'm so excited for it. So yeah, those are my thoughts. What are your <laughs> thoughts? Yeah, I just have a couple points. Um, you know, I think the show has a big focus um, on family as the theme, and again with the whole arc with the spider family, like we see the contrast of that, I guess, corrupted bond with. Again, the authentic authenticity of Tanjiro and Nesco's fam familial bond. And I think the show constantly proves time and again that their connection kind of transcends any type of power or magic, even the ones that, like, Rui as a demon was trying to use. Um, and even with Nesco's own demon tendencies kind of um, clawing at her uh, to react to those instincts, like, she doesn't allow that to impair her relationship uh, with Tanjiro and I guess with like humans on a general level um, and I think hopefully like we'll start to see the importance of that connection not just as like a familial bond but as an instrument that you'll probably see in the fight against Kibutsuji and I think that's what like they were hinting at with the meeting of the Hashiras and with the master of the Demon Slayers. Um, so yeah, 
whenever season two or three or however they're doing this with the movie in tandem however that plays out i'd love to see where where this connection is going to go um yeah that was my big takeaway from the series um one thing that i'm still wrestling with is again the emergence of tanjiro's fire breathing technique which sounds like it was like something passed down um from his father um when they introduced that what was this like almost 20 episodes in um for him to use it as like this almost what like almost like a final smash move um like it made sense i guess thematically but sometimes it felt like it was like a you know like a deus ex machina almost like a like this god power that suddenly gets you out of this hairy situation with no real no true sense of logic yeah Um, kind of like a convenient plot point right yeah it felt like too convenient at that point and again maybe the show's going to explore more of like tanjiro tapping into this this power um as he faces off against stronger demons um but i guess it didn't land almost in the same way that i guess in attack on titan spoiler alert like we find out that aaron has this this titan power um, that's a pretty early spoiler too I think if, <laughs> if you don't know by now that Aaron is a titan then uh, <laughs> you gotta get on that yeah um, so that's that's something that again hopefully we'll see down the road but it, it makes sense to your earlier point that he doesn't know how to fully utilize this technique which is why he couldn't take down Rui and it's similar in vain to you know like Mid- uh, Midorian my hero spoiler alert <laughs> Gaining one for all from All Might. Which is another really early <laughs> spoiler. So if you don't know that yet, you really got to get on my hero. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that, like, that's something that we need to see in, in shows like these is, like, even though the character has this potentially OP power or skill, like, they don't know how to fully utilize it. And we see them develop that as the series goes on, so... One other thing that, again, didn't sit with me at first, but uh, I look forward to him kind of meshing his fire-breathing technique with with the water-breathing technique. And, yeah, I'm just also wondering, how are you going to top Gurenge as, as a theme? Oh, my God. This is, it's like a, almost like an anthem. <laughs> like, I'm, like when we hang out with our friends and we, we listen to, like, anime OPs or endings, like, they always sing out the very first uh verse of this song gurenge <laughs> is on max volume the second it comes on like <laughs> that that song if there's one anime opening that gets us hype it's gurenge mm-hmm. this song is so amazing and yeah i i don't know i think in my opinion which is different you don't see it very often you see it, you saw it kind of in gurren Lagan, but they should just mm-hmm. keep gurenge just keep gurenge as the opening like <laughs> we don't need at this point you don't need any other openings just keep yeah. it that one and, and i'm good and, and plus it'll be different than on every other anime although i know the the artist who sang gurenge uh lisa i think she recorded a new song that's going to be used in the movie so we'll see how how that vibes against gurenge but gurenge is just gurenge and speaking of the movie, that's the one thing I wanted to wrap up with before we end this podcast episode because they announced it immediately that there's going to be a movie, which at this point is releasing in Japan in just a few weeks. Um, so get ready for that. Well, maybe like a month or two, a month and a half. I don't know. I just looked it up. I trained to move on. <laughs> I'm telling you, missed <laughs> opportunity. But the only thing I want to say about the previews for Mugen Train is that the the movie clearly picks up right where the show ended. Mm-hmm. And that is awesome. Because not often enough do anime movies actually follow the the show's arc. Um, and oftentimes many of them don't even feel canon. Like I know they're legit. Like the the My Hero movies. Yes, they're they're legit. Like those things I guess you could say happen. But are they really canon? Can you really define them as canon? It's like a niche canon. It's like 
I don't know, like, it, it's like the, the Trigun movie, which I watched once a long time ago. You haven't seen it yet, but it's not really canon. It's like a side story of what maybe happened in between some of the things you saw in the show, and you could honestly not have that movie ever exist, and the show doesn't change. Mm-hmm. This, however, is going to be an actual canon movie. It's taking an entire arc of the manga and putting it all in, in one film that you actually do need to see in order to be able to understand what's, you know, forthcoming in this show. And I love that. I, I If I'm going to see a movie, if I'm going to invest that time and get really excited about what's happening to the characters that I love, like, I want to feel that what's happening is actually legit to the storyline um, mm-hmm. or will actually have impact to the storyline. And it's not something that, again, if I had never seen it in the first place, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. I know you mentioned this, um, but... Are there any other examples of, like, an anime that takes this kind of approach where you, like, in order to know what happens next, you have to watch the movie? Um, not that I know of. I know that, like, we have, I haven't watched yet, but the, the second Code Geass movie, I think, follows the rest of the story, but there's nothing after the movie, I think. Hmm. I think the, the second movie is the most recent installment of Code Geass, um... So I think that's something that's technically canon, but you could also just not watch it because it happens after the fact. I could be wrong, mm-hmm. um, but we'll we'll find out too because that's on our, our watch list. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there are, but nothing that comes to mind or anything that, that's big enough for, for at least me to be aware of. So I think it's super refreshing. If mm-hmm. I'm going to spend the time getting really invested in a, a movie about a show I love, I, I love it even more knowing that it is truly canon to the story. No, yeah, it's definitely a unique concept, and I can't find something comparable in any other medium. Um, again, with like a TV show where you have to watch a movie or even like read another form of media to get more of the story. Um, but one thing I'm wondering is like, how is this gonna play out in terms of what would I guess you could consider it the second season? Or if you consider the movie the second season, like the third season, like is it going to offer a recap of what happens in the movie, or is it going to like cut the movie into several episodes as its own season? You're saying for for this movie? Yeah. Um, I hope there's no recap because, as I have said many times before, this for me personally, I hate recaps nowadays because we have streaming and. We have the internet and all that. Recaps to me aren't necessarily. If if you're going to go see the movie, you should probably just read up really quick, uh, you know, a refresher on what happened with the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's. I, I my understanding is the movie's going to tackle the entire arc of the Mugen Train, which I I think is probably a shorter arc because how how big of an arc can you really have on on a train ride? <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think it's perfect. Like, I, I get they wouldn't make a movie like this out of, like, a huge, very, very important overarching arc. Um, but if you do something smaller like this, like, if they were to have taken the forest with the spiders and, like, made that into a movie, it's a small enough arc where you could probably do that in, in movie form. I also love it because we're not going to spend half a season or several episodes on the Mugen Train arc. It's going to be done in this movie, mm-hmm. and then we can move right into something else with the with the... TV or the show. So I'm hoping that maybe more big name anime will take on this approach if this is successful. Yeah, I feel like it might be similar to like, you know, like Harry Potter, the last movie, they they split off into two parts. And then that's something that you see a lot now with, in pop culture movies. Um, so yeah, maybe the same effect will, will happen in anime. Well, you can bet your ass that when the movie comes out in October, um, we're going to watch it. I know the theatrical release in the U.S. is in January, but I cannot wait that long to see what happens. There's always torrents. <laughs> well, hush, ho- hush. hopefully we'll find a legit <laughs> streaming on some sort of, like, you know, Crunchyroll or something where we can we can watch it. If not, maybe we'll sail the seven seas. Who knows? Um, but either way, I mean, we'll, we'll support I, I do plan to watch it in the theaters when it comes out mm-hmm. in January, but we'll see if there's a legal way for us to watch it in October um, so that we don't have to wait as long. Because I'm very impatient. I can't wait to see it. And we can't wait to talk about it on this podcast. So definitely look forward to that. We will be tackling Mugen Train when we talk about Demon Slayer next. Going off the rails on this Mugen Train. (laughs)
<laughs> and with that, well, I think we need to give our final reviews, right, of the season. Yeah, how many Hashira Hashiras are you gonna give Demon Slayer? Um, honestly, I would give it a nine, almost a nine point five out of ten. I absolutely loved it for all the reasons I've already shared. Um, and I just hope the the movie and the rest of the show is just as good. Yeah, I would also give it nine Hashira Hashiras, which coincidentally is how many Hashiras there are. Because <laughs> um, yeah, if, as I said at the beginning of the of this episode, I feel like this is an anime that will like had a significant impact um, on the industry, um, almost to the point like Attack on Titan um, was an impact like ten years ago. Um, again, very well balanced. Um, and has a really unique and strong plot line with the relationship between Tanjiro and Nesco. And again, with the, again with the movie, I think it's it's trying out new things in um, the world of anime. And I look forward to the ride. And so that wraps up episode seventeen of Strictly Anime on Demon Slayer season one, part two. And we'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode and a special thank you to Super Newt Ensemble for the jingle that you hear at the beginning and end of this podcast. And as always, stay healthy. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) One more time. (laughs) Oops, hang on. It's been a minute, guys. As always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Hashira, Hashira.